And of course, I couldn't deny it at the time. I was doing environmental policy work in government. Um, and I had worked for all levels of government now by this time. And so I was doing intense research. And I knew about keeping the planet hyper-neutrified and making sure there's not all of these toxins in our air, in our water, in our soil. But then it, all of a sudden it was like, woof, let's take it down to the human body. And what would happen if the human body was hyper-neutrified and detoxified? And it was amazing what, you know, obviously has happened since then. You are listening to Veggie Doctor Radio, and this is episode number 237. Welcome to Veggie Doctor Radio. I am your host, Dr. Yami board-certified pediatrician, certified lifestyle medicine physician, certified health and wellness coach, author, speaker, mother, wife, and human being. I passionately believe in the power of diet, habits, and mindset in sparking and sustaining well-being and joy in our lives. This podcast combines expert interviews and thoughtful monologues to explore plant-based nutrition, lifestyle medicine, parenting, mindset, and other exciting and fun topics. I hope that these episodes inspire you, uplift you, and equip you with the knowledge and tools to live your best life. Are you ready to get started? Let's do it. Hi, veggie lovers. Welcome to another episode of Veggie Doctor Radio. We are already in the third Sunday of 2023. How is everything going for you? I'm feeling pumped. Things are going great so far in 2023. I am so happy to be here and I am thrilled and overjoyed that you are here. If you are a longtime listener, welcome back. If you are a new listener, Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for checking out Veggie Doctor Radio. I hope you love it. I have a great episode for you today, but before I tell you more about my amazing guest, I want to remind you that the information on this podcast is for information on educational purposes only. It is not meant to replace careful evaluation and treatment by a trained healthcare professional. So if you have concerns about you or your child's eating, nutrition, or growth, please consult your physician. Okay, so today I have Nicolette Richet. Nicolette Richet knows your mouth is the gateway to your stomach, which is the key to good health. She has been using organic whole foods and an inspiring attitude to create healthier humans and build communities. The best-selling author of Eat Real to Heal, she is here to teach you, physicians, chefs, and restaurants worldwide, how to reverse your chronic disease conditions using food as medicine. A plant-based endurance athlete, her 22 million strong mission to educate 22 million people on food as medicine by 2030 includes a Trans-Canada run and cycle tour. Orthomolecular nutritionist, organic zealot, gorilla healer, and soil-to-belly entrepreneur, Nicolette's brainchild, the Green Mustache Cafe, operates out of four locations across Canada and is coming soon to 10 locations in New York. When not busy with the restaurants, a thriving health consulting biz, richer health, and doing her PhD, which advocates for BIPOC health, she is hanging out in the mountains with her three daughters, Pooches, and her life and business partner, Pierre, who does not have a green mustache. Nicolette is an amazing human, and she has done so much and accomplished so much already. I am 
incredibly impressed, but she is also very wise and knowledgeable. And she really cares. She has put a lot of effort into helping other people, to educating others and learning about root causes so that she can make true change, effective change in this world. In this episode, we talked about her why, why she does the work she does, her story, how her way of eating has evolved over her lifetime. We talk about advocating for a plant-based diet in communities of color and what she thinks about that, what it means to decolonize your plate, how we can use traditional whole foods as medicine. We talked about her PhD project and everything she's learned over the past few years. We talk about her endurance sports and how she started doing that and why. And we talk about her restaurant, The Green Mustache, what she wishes more people knew, her morning routine. And she leaves us with her number one tip for people of color that want to adopt a plant-based lifestyle for their health. And it is really good. I think you're going to really love this episode. She has a lot of wise things to say that you can start applying, but also some very insightful things that you may not know about what it means to have our food colonized and what effect that's had on us over time that we may not even realize. So I think this is a very important episode. Again, I am so happy that you're here. Thank you for coming back week after week after week. I love you and appreciate you. I hope you have a very plantastic day and week ahead. And now let us welcome Nicolette Riche. Nicolette Richet, welcome to Veggie Doctor Radio. What a pleasure to have you here today. Thank you. It is a pleasure to be with you as well. Well, I am so excited to get to know you more. I got chills several times while I was reading your about page on your website. You have such an interesting story and in life so far. So it seems like it's been such an incredible journey. I want to start with your why. Why do you do the work that you do? Yeah, that's a really great question. And I have to say it's something that um, changes from sometimes year to year, sometimes, you know, decade to decade. But right now, especially as I'm wrapping up my PhD, it's really shifted. Um, when I first started doing this work 15, 16 years ago, um, helping people reverse their chronic diseases, it was because I recognized and learned that chronic diseases were reversible. And I thought it was such an atrocity that medical doctors were not taught about nutrition in med school. I wanted to change the medical system. I thought it was, um, you know, people living with chronic diseases, you know, that having to uh, uh, undergo this unnecessary suffering. There's already enough suffering in the world, but why suffer from, um, you know, chronic diseases like diabetes and heart disease and autoimmune disorders? that can be reversed in a few weeks to a few months. It doesn't have to be years and years of healing. Our bodies heal so fast. So it was to help people reverse their chronic diseases so they didn't have to suffer. And then, of course, as you go down the rabbit hole and then through my research, um, really seeing the disparities between people of color, Indigenous people, and how... Um, and seeing that the rates of chronic disease are four to eight times higher than non-BIPOC people. That also became my why, and um, and it became really a social justice um, issue. 
you know, and and then, of course, you know, we're spending in North America, we spend three point nine trillion dollars a year. That's 90 percent of our healthcare budget managing and treating fully reversible chronic diseases. And so now it's also an economic issue as well. So when you combine all of that together, it's, um, you know, it's a lifelong work, it's a lifelong passion. But ultimately, I want people to be able to realize their innate human potential. When you're born on this earth, you were born whole, you are complete. And then our, our human idiosyncrasies and, you know, lack of the right education and lack of knowledge. And all of a sudden, we just get dismantled down into these, you know, basically a sum of parts, but we are complete whole individuals. And I have seen when my clients heal themselves from their chronic diseases, it's unbelievable what they're able to do in their life. Like, you know, accountants become painters and, you know, people are able to leave abusive relationships because they actually have the energy, the metabolic energy to go out there and choose the things that they want in their life and actually go out and achieve them. So at the end of the day, it's also about that. It's being able to just to live the life that you are literally designed to live. Uh, I love that. That's so beautiful. And I love how you brought up energy because I think that is a hot topic right now that we're discovering a lot of the things in life come down to energy. And when we feel like we don't have enough energy, we're depressed or anxious. We can't do the things we want to do. We can't fulfill those dreams we want to fulfill. So I definitely want to circle back to that. But first, I want to learn more about how you discovered a plant-based diet. How has it impacted your own life? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I mean, I was born into a plant-based diet because I was born in a little tiny town in Chiritsulu, Malawi, Africa. So it's a village. You know, people still to this day, all of my relatives that live there, they have to walk miles to get water from a well. Um, they, you know, carry their babies on a back with uh, with a cloth. You know, there's no ergos and baby carriers or, and there's no electricity. There's no running water um, to this day. And people literally live um, from the earth, they, you know, every morning at four o'clock, they get up and they plow the fields and then they grow the food and then they, you know, hope that the rains come. And when the rains do come, sometimes it's too much and it washes away. The, like, this is how they live. And so people just eat plants. If you eat meat there, it's usually for ceremony and it's usually when somebody dies. So it's only a few times a year. They don't really raise any farm animals. Um, and if they do, they're mostly pets for the most part. And so I came from that lifestyle. But then when I moved to Canada and I moved to Vancouver, you know, that's when a lot of meat was introduced in our diet. It was at the time when governments were saying you need protein. So kids were told to, you know, have milk. We were served milk in our classrooms um, and cheese was introduced and cheese whiz and all of the processed refined food. But then fast forward, I ended up living this amazing house in my 20s. Um, that was six suites. There was 12 of us that lived there. Um, we gardened together. It was in the middle of the city of Vancouver. We grow, grew food. We cooked together. We did cleanses. We did all. So we slowly transitioned back to a, a lot of us in that house to a plant-based lifestyle. And I'd always grown up with a garden. And so I knew about growing food. 
didn't love it. I was the last thing I wanted to do. But then one of the uh, friends and who lived in my in the house who became one of my best friends, she loved to garden. She knew about food and her dad at 72 years old was diagnosed with cancer. And he was diagnosed with stage four cancer. He was given three months to live. And, you know, he's tall, big, white guy, real estate agent, really gruff and rough. And this man, you know, six foot something, he switched to a plant-based lifestyle. He went strictly to a metabolic nutritional therapy of hypernutrition, hyperdetoxification, and he wasn't given chemo, surgery, and radiation. It's really important for people to know that, that those were not his options. He was told to go home and get his affairs in order. Well, he ended up living another 22 more years. Yes. So my mind was blown because I was I knew nothing about cancer back then. I just thought it was a death sentence for the most part, or let's hope that they find a cure one day, which I've since learned. There's not going to be a lot of cures coming from people through the, um, you know, through the, and I don't want to say I'm not against chemo surgery or radiation. It has a place and it has a time for specific cancers for specific individuals, but not the way that it's blatantly used right now. But so he did this therapy and lived. And, you know, he ended up in 20, in that 22 years from 72 to 94, ended up starting one of the fastest growing real estate companies, became a pilot. You know, he did all of these unbelievable things that most people after 72 never do, um, let alone fighting cancer. So that's how I ended up learning about uh, metabolic nutrition and detoxification. And of course, I couldn't deny it at the time. I was doing environmental policy work in government. Um, and I had worked for all levels of government now by this time. And so I was doing intense research and I knew about keeping the planet hypernutrified and making sure there's not all of these toxins in our air, in our water, in our soil. But then it, all of a sudden it was like, woof, let's take it down to the human body. And what would happen if the human body was hypernutrified and detoxified? And it, it's amazing what, you know, obviously has happened since then. Wow. What an incredible story. But I love how you were able to take this like, okay, I'm looking at this huge macrocosm of the earth. Why am I not thinking about it in the microscopic, you know, territory of a human, you know, and our bodies and what we do to ourselves? Because obviously we have to care for the planet because, you know, it's a mutual interest, right? The longer we can take care of the planet, the longer we can be here. But we also need to take care of ourselves because otherwise we're not going to be around to live on the planet. So that's super important. That's really an amazing story. Thank you for sharing that. So, you know, you've you've mentioned your work with uh, people of color and how you've become interested in indigenous um, communities. Many have said that eating or advocating for a plant-based diet is privileged and insensitive to those that may have less access. What is your perspective on this? Yeah, and it's a very sensitive topic because, you know, a lot of people don't understand what colonization is. You know, we are all products of colonization. And this is when the British, you know, the uh, French, the Europeans came and settled the lands all around the world, Australia, New Zealand, Africa, South America, you know, North America. And when settlers came, they really introduced a lot of 
processed refined food, a lot of white sugar, white flour, white salt, um, you know, all of these things that were not part of our indigenous um, BIPOC diet, really. We, 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 most people were living from the earth, from the berries and the potatoes and the squashes and the carrots and the wild gingers. And, you know, the, and we were, we were gatherers mostly and then hunters because hunting takes a lot out of us. It takes a lot of energy to hunt. There's a lot of risk that comes with it as well. And we can see this through the, um, through the literature um, going back centuries. So when Indigenous folks say, well, I can't eat plant-based, that's not part of my culture. Well, one thing that's important to know is that most Indigenous communities predominantly ate a lot of plant-based foods. And then it was supplemented with bison, with salmon when it was available or, you know, and it was eaten in much smaller quantities. And so this is a part when you look at a lot of the cookbooks, like the African cookbooks in, Amer in North America, if you look at the indigenous cookbooks that are sold in all the beautiful museums and cultural centers, you see that it's predominantly meat and they leave out for example, all the pit cooking that was done. And the pit cooking was 80% vegetables and maybe 20% meat. It wasn't 90% meat, 10% vegetables. And that is the French cuisine, European cuisine influence. That is the, these cookbooks that are created in this day and age, they are colonized cookbooks. But when you really get back into the literature and you see what people actually ate, you'll see that African-Americans that originated in Africa, they were originally the first vegans. So we have the, everybody running around and predominantly white people running around saying, be vegan, be vegan, we're vegans, we've discovered veganism. Well, no, you didn't at all. Indigenous people, Black people, often they had to live from the earth and often it was mostly plant-based foods until there was the supplement of the meat available. And that's the thing that has been flipped on its head. So for example, fried chicken and buttered grits, you know, we think of that as a Southern comfort food. That is not the original vegan or the original food of Black people at all. That is the food of the Western colonizers that put that idea into our head. And usually it's because we were getting the scraps of the foods from the colonizers. And that's how we ended up, you know, getting this food. So this narrative needs to change. And it's really important because when we think about what our comfort foods are, we need to go back about 500 years to the original foods that we ate and then go back to those foods because those were the foods that kept us free of chronic disease literally when diabetes did not exist in black communities and indigenous communities. And that was like prior to the 1940s. We don't even have to go back that far. That's the beautiful thing about this. Yeah. I mean, that is so important that you explain this because I think because a lot of us haven't lived here that long and we just don't know, we, we assume things are a certain way. So we forget all of this history and how it has influenced food. I know I've talked with Dr. Columbus Batiste. You should definitely be on their show, but they call it slave food. And mm -hmm. it has lots of different meanings. Slave food as in, yeah, that's what we learned to eat as slaves, but also it keeps you enslaved 
in chronic disease as yeah. well. So a lot of these scraps and the fried meats and things like that, it was because that what was what was given and had to learn, people had to learn how to cook that in order to just make it by and have enough food, right? So that's a really good point. I think a lot of people um, forget too, when it comes to traditional cuisine or the way that we used to eat in the past, there weren't refrigerators and things like that. So it was like, <laughs> you couldn't just have like these freezers and fridges full of meat, you know, like if you did hunt, it was eaten very quickly or preserved in a way that probably wasn't super palatable, but mostly it was going to be eating the plant foods and foraging and even wild greens, things like that too. So it was a very different life and time than what we know now. But I like how you put that into perspective and flipped it around so that we can understand that indigenous cultures were the first to learn how to eat plants and use plants to their benefit as well. There's a lot of knowledge and wisdom there. Well, take us a step further. What does it mean to decolonize your plate? Yeah, this is, um, it involves many things. First, the first thing that we have to do is start to decolonize our mindset. So all of us were mostly educated in a Western education system. So we were taught one side of history, and that's through the European lens. And so we need to also change that. We need to start learning about the history of our world through an Indigenous lens, through a Black lens, through a South Asian lens, through an Asian lens, because that view is very, very, very different than what we were taught in school. So decolonizing our mindset is one of the first things that needs to happen. And then when we do that, we learn about the history of our food. We learn how food was used as a weapon to control people um, throughout colonization. You take away food, you take away people's energy, you take away their strength, you take away their ability to think well and make good decisions. You take away their ability to fight back. Really, when we, if you think about it, when you have no energy, when you are sick, when you can't think straight, like you're not going to, you know, say, hey, wait a minute, what's going on here? Let's rise up. Let's protest. Let's, um, you know, let's um, you know, fight back. Right. We're not going to be oppressed. We're not going to be enslaved. You can you have the energy to do that. So. Decolonizing your plate is changing your mindset, then it's going into the grocery stores and making very different decisions. So instead of heading for the middle aisles where you grab the box of vegan gluten-free Cheerios that says plant-based whole food, which is complete BS, you stay on the perimeter of the store. You go to where the berries are, the vegetables, the fruits. Maybe if you go down a middle aisle, it's only to go to the bulk section to stock up on rice and different grains and other whole foods that truly are rich in nutrients, rich in fiber. And then it's saying no more. I'm not going to accept these, this falseness that was put on us. So for example, salt, we were lied to. We were told that we needed so much sodium. And it's so important that people get this correct. The differences between all the different types of salts that are out there. So we were marketed to and said, well, you need salt, you need salt, you need salt. And yes, of course we need salt. 
But nature has provided all of our salts in the perfect ratios. Most plants on the planet contain 90% potassium, 10% sodium. And that's exactly what our cells need as well. 90%, 80 to 90% potassium, 20% sodium. So why have governments around North America told us for the last 50 years that we need to put table salt on our food? So it's dismantling all of this. So we've been consuming high amounts of sodium. The food producers have been using multiple different types of sodium, like MSG and, and, and multiple different names that they give it, like 20 different names that they give it to preserve the food. So it's saying decolonizing our plate is saying no more of this Western food that dismantles our body and literally creates the chronic disease. So we've been marketed to and said, well, you need all of these refined oils and avocado oils and, you know, all the different fancy schmancy oils that are out there that are so expensive and they do nothing for our health because guess what? Nature has put the right amount of fats in our foods. It's beautiful. We have all the omega-3s that we need, all the omega-6s in the perfect balance. So it's also dismantling this myth around protein. Protein was marketed to us by individuals by companies that wanted to commodify the meat market. And this is not a conspiracy theory. You just have to go back through the books and you see when there was a time when one pig would feed an entire family for a year. And then all of a sudden the whole farming practices changed and we started growing food to feed animals, to feed humans. So it's dismantling all of these practices that have been put on us through colonization and saying no more. And it really means taking back your health because when you start loading up your plates with all of the 350,000 plant-based foods that are out there on the planet that are available to us, it's impossible to have chronic disease. It is Your body is so resilient that you can go through the highest amounts of stress and your heart muscles, your arteries are clear, your muscle, your heart muscles strong, your, you know, everything is operating unbelievably, even under high amounts of pressure and stress. Our body will detoxify on its own. We don't need all of these cleanses. We don't need all of these fad diets. We don't need all of these fad supplements that are being sold to us that are a multi-billion dollar industry. So decolonizing your plate is saying no more to these Western practices that have duped us and saying it's time to take back our health and we do not want to live with these chronic diseases anymore. Wow. It's a lot to think about, though, because we get used to what we're in. We're born into it. That's what's on media. It's what's in the restaurants. It's what people tell you you should be doing. So you really have to open your eyes and pay attention and really think deeply about things. So do you think that the average person, is it is it kind of more of a slow journey transition as they're learning how to change how they eat? How have you approached it with your clients? Yeah, and it's a good question that I think about every single day because I'm an educator. So I, I always, you know, if I just teach this to you, then you'll go, oh, wow, and have this awareness. And But it doesn't work like that. And it didn't work like that for me. It was a very slow process for me. I'm a, And everybody is different. We all have different learning styles. We all have different moments that trigger us to make changes. So I'm fortunate is that I haven't had a chronic disease that I've ever had to 
deal with. So it has been a slow process for me of letting go of the salt, letting go of the excess animal protein, letting go of, um, you know, it didn't happen. And I want people to know it often doesn't happen in an isolated container overnight. It's, you know, little things like watching Forks Over Knives or Game Changers. If you're an athlete, that was an important documentary to help a lot of people realize they didn't need the excess protein. In fact, ex excess protein is one of the biggest contributors to making cancer grow really fast in your body. A lot of people don't realize the science behind that. And so for some people, it's many years. And for other people, it happens overnight. It's when they get sick, they get a diagnosis, they're told that they're going to have to be on a debilitating medication for the rest of their lives, or they're told that they're going to have to have a leg amputated because of their diabetes, they'll lose their eyesight, um, you know, that they have to undergo an upcoming surgery. So for some people, it'll be financial, especially in the United States, where the medical system is not a great medical system. And um, people might have to pay $60,000 for a surgery or even double that, triple that. And so sometimes that's the incentive for somebody. But I do tend to find a lot of people have to hit their rock bottom. It's where they wake up one morning and they go, I just can't do this anymore. I cannot live in this body anymore that is in so much pain, that has so much brain fog, that um, is, you know, you either have intense diarrhea or intense constipation and people can't leave their house anymore. They just, you know, there's just so many things. They have chronic migraines 30 days of the month and they're just like, that's it. I can't do it. And then usually that's when they'll start asking for help. You know, and meanwhile, when they look back, they'll probably realize a lot of their friends, a lot of the family were trying to offer them these services. But with everybody offering us all of these different fad diets, it's so hard to know what to do. Right. We have keto, paleo. We have Atkins diet, which is the new keto. We have, um, you know, don't eat grains, don't eat. You know, there's just so many um, nutritional falsehoods out there that it's really overwhelming. And I get that for people. But there is a magic that happens when somebody does hit their rock bottom. All of a sudden, they're willing to try something. And that is the key. They're willing to say, what I'm doing right now isn't working. So I need to do something else. And then that's usually when the journey begins for them. Yeah, it's so powerful. And I think it goes back to kind of what you alluded to earlier is that we want to feel good. You know, we we want to feel good. We want to have enough energy. We don't want to be in pain all the time. We want to be able to hang out with our friends and family and achieve our goals and dreams. And a lot of that depends on feeling good. So how can we use traditional whole foods as medicine? Yeah, that's a that's a really good question. So when we talk about traditional whole foods, a lot of people think like, oh, I need to go back and, you know, eat like your ancestors. And we actually have a documentary coming out next year or, or in two years that um, it's called The Food of Our Ancestors. And people think about it as going back in time and that, oh, I have to do things the old way, the old way, the old way. But it's it, it's not about that. So using the word traditional whole foods um, can sometimes throw people off. OK, so. And we love trendy new names and plant-based whole food, SOS-free eating. And, you know, we always want to give a label to something. So at the end of the day, I just like to say, just eat real food. 
That's what this is about. And that's why our book is called Eat Real to Heal. Eat real, just real food. So it's to really understand what real food is. Real food is just food that grows on a bush. It grows on a tree. It grows under the earth and the soil like potatoes um, and carrots and beets and turnips. And, you know, it's food that grows just a few inches above the soil. So all your squashes and pumpkins and zucchinis and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. It's the greens, the lettuces. That's just real food. Now, eating traditional food just means eating unprocessed food. So it means that when you pick the kale... Sure, you can put it in a factory, wash it, clean it, dehydrate it, then smother it in Himalayan crystal salt and avocado oil and nutritional yeast and put it in a bag and add all these preservatives so that it can stay on a shelf for two years. And then it can be distributed all around the world in trucks. You know, that is not real food. It might taste really yummy and you might think you're doing your body good, but eating real food would be to take the kale from the garden and you either steam it, you bake it, you add it into a dish, into a stew. Um, maybe you take it and you bruise it with lemon and avocado, not avocado oil, <laughs> not lemon in a container, okay, that's been on the shelf for two years. Not that, but a real lemon and real avocado. And maybe you sprinkle it with some sesame seeds, not sesame seed oil. So this is eating real. And this is what it means to eat traditional whole foods. And when you do this, if you have an autoimmune disease, if you have high blood pressure and high cholesterol, if you have um, any one of the, you know, multiple sclerosis, another autoimmune disease, um, you will heal your body. And your doctor will say, hey, guess what? you don't need these medications anymore. Your symptoms are going away. And another month goes by, all of a sudden they're like, well, you don't need medications at all. We're going to cancel your upcoming surgery. Tumors shrink. It's incredible. It's the most amazing thing to witness tumors shrinking and disappearing. It's magical. And that's with traditional whole foods, with just real food. So that's how foods heal. It's incredible. And we're eating the opposite of that, the standard American diet, I know that Canada is pretty similar. <clears throat> Children are eating 70% of their calories from ultra processed food, seven zero. So like way on the opposite spectrum, we have a long way to go. But I think, you know, little by little people learning and presenting it more simply like this, because I think you're right in that there's so much confusion about the right kind of diet. And then this over-focus on macronutrients, like, oh, you need to eat more protein. Or I, my hugest pet peeve, like the bane of my existence is when people call everything, quote, carbs. Like they're yeah. talking about <laughs> crackers and cake and cookies as carbs. Like, no, those are ultra-processed foods. Those are processed foods. Because then if people are confused, they're like, oh, carbs are bad. The potato is bad and brown rice yeah. is bad. And so it creates a lot of confusion. Hey, are you kind of curious about microgreens and including microgreens in your diet, but you're not sure where to start and you're not sure how to do it? I love my Hamama microgreen 
grower. It's so easy, it's so convenient. So this is how it works. Basically, they send you the kit and it has this little seed quilt, okay? And then you soak the seed quilt in the water and in a few days, you see your tiny little baby sprouts growing. And a few days after that, you can start eating them. And it's so fun. And you can tell them that you're eating them. And they're really happy that you're eating them. And your body's really happy that you're eating them. But here's the best part, because I've told y'all before, I'm lazy. So I don't wanna have to use any mental energy that I don't need to. And they send you seed quilts every month. So you don't run out. You can change what seed quilts you want to try. So here's some examples of some of the seed quilts they have. Hearty broccoli, refreshing cabbage, energizing kale, spicy daikon radish, super salad mix. You can even get wheatgrass. You can get culinary cilantro or even hot wasabi mustard. So there's lots to choose from. They have different flavors. They're so cute and they're health promoting. So you can get a good dose of antioxidants and it's really beautiful. I also use them for garnish when I'm making soups and salads and different bowls. You can impress your guests. But like I said, it's going to be low energy cost on your part. And it's actually not that expensive either. The other thing that I use from Hamama is a green onion growing kit, which is really cool because it can decrease your food waste. So you buy the green onions and then the little part that has the root, the white part at the bottom, you stick it in these little holes and then you just put the water in there and it grows. And then you can keep eating the same green onions. You just go with your little scissors and you chop it off and you put it into your food. So if you wanna give it a try, you've been curious about microgreens and different ways that you can grow your own food, check out Hamama. You can find it in my show notes for a link to get 15% off, or you can go to dryami.com forward slash shop so that you can find the link and get 15% off your first order. Happy growing. Do you love Veggie Doctor Radio, but you're sick of listening to ads? Join the Plantscription. The Plantscription is a monthly membership where you have access to ad-free episodes of Veggie Doctor Radio every week. But that's not all. You also have access to a monthly live Q&A with me and a monthly live book club. You also get access to writings and musings and free giveaways. It is such a great deal. Right now, it's only $5 a month to join the Planscription. If you want to join, go to planscription.substack.com or go to the show notes to follow the link. Join the Planscription today and join me in this plantastic community. So I think you're right. And if we simplify it for people and say, hey, stick to food that you can pick from the earth and you can cook very simply at home without having to put it through a factory and preserve it, you're on the right track. And then from there, start tuning in to how you feel. Because like you said before, some people, they have effects right away within days and weeks. They're starting oh, yeah. to get that energy back. They're starting to sleep better. Their digestion is better. Their moods are better. And so you can use that in itself as proof that you're headed in the right direction. You don't need some kind of outside source to tell you. You can tune into your own body. So thank you so much for sharing that. I'm very, very curious about your PhD project. I know you said that you're wrapping that up. So tell me about it and what you've learned so far. 
Yeah, this has been quite the journey. And, um, you know, anytime you research anything for any extended periods of time, you move through these paradigm shifts. And so when I first started doing this, it was really just to prove you could reverse chronic diseases. So seven years ago, that was my proposal to my university that I'm going to work with Indigenous communities and we are going to reverse these chronic diseases, showing that A, it's not genetic because everybody wants to blame people's genes for their diseases, but 97% of all chronic diseases are not genetic. They're caused by lifestyle. So the predominantly the foods that we eat. Um, and then of course, additional stressors. And I don't want to, you know, take away from, from that as well. So with my PhD process, it transitioned really into, as I learned about, um, you know, all the factors that affect BIPOC individuals when it comes to um, chronic diseases. Well, it's really, I started to see that there are a lot of barriers in place that prevent people from even accessing real food. So we have food deserts across our country, um, across our nation, across the world. And that's the direct effect of colonization. And that's because Indigenous people, Black people were really taken and put on lands that where they couldn't grow food, they couldn't hunt and gather, they weren't allowed to, to travel and roam free and forage and do all of those things. All of their food sources were taken away from them and the relationship to their land was taken away from them. So then I went through that journey. And of course, that took me down through understanding the true ramifications of colonization and what that did to Indigenous peoples all around the world. And then I went to Africa in 2018 in the middle of doing my PhD. And I went in to go see my grandmother one last time. And while I was there in the village, she was cooking, you know, everybody was cooking, participating in cooking dinner. And I was looking at the way she was cooking the food. And I was like, this is exactly the same food that I teach my clients to eat in North America. I'm like, how is it that I never realized that I thought I was teaching people how to eat plant-based whole food? That's really what I thought up until then. And then I realized I was actually teaching people how to decolonize their diets. And so that was a huge awakening for me, the fact that I didn't realize that that's what I was doing. And so then my PhD really um, was about understanding all the barriers that Indigenous and BIPOC people face um, and, and people of color face in accessing food. So all of these barriers that are in place. And, you know, one example is a friend of mine. She traveled to northern Canada um, earlier this year and she came back and she was like, Nikki, if you want a bag of cherries in northern Canada, it costs $90, nine, $9 for oh one God. tiny bag of cherries. So what? of course people aren't going to eat cherries up there. But not just that. If you want a banana, it might cost $10. So to get fresh, real food in a lot of these remote and rural food deserts, is, you just can't get it. So if you don't get access to real food, how do you heal yourself? How do you reverse your chronic diseases when you're all the foods that you are just highly processed foods. So it was about meeting with Indigenous communities and speaking with Indigenous folks to truly understand all the barriers that exist. And then in doing that research, I realized that I framed the question 
strictly to look at all the barriers, but what we also need to look at are what are the opportunities? Because there are incredible humans all around North America in food deserts that are seed saving, that are, you know, growing food in earth ships, that are figuring out ways to look at the soil that they stand on and rebuild it to start building up the microbiome of the soil so that they can grow food to have food that's really nutrient rich. So it's so that's the next phase of research that needs to happen now that my PhD is complete is to really look at the opportunities and start finding solutions. So working with indigenous communities and saying like, hey, what what needs to happen? And really my work will be in trying to find the money for a lot of these communities so that they can implement the solutions that are right for them um, so that they can start having food within their communities that is fully, fully capable of reversing chronic diseases. Wow, that is so inspiring and you're doing such important work. That's really incredible. I love how you were you know, we have to look at where the issues are, where the obstacles are, where the barriers are, but also take the time to look at what and how the success stories, the people that are making a difference, how are they able to do that? And how can we replicate that or build upon that to to help with this mission? That's incredible. Can I just add one more thing to that that I think is a real, probably the most important part of my research? Um, if you go to the CDC website right now, and if you look at what are the risk factors for diabetes, for heart disease, for most chronic diseases, you're going to see that our governments have basically, and our medical system, have been blaming the victim. And this is a huge part that has come out um, of my research. So the risk factors are your age. So as you age, they say that's a risk factor for getting diabetes, heart disease, all these chronic diseases. If you are overweight, that is a risk factor, they say. If you are pre-diabetic, for example, or you have high cholesterol, that's a risk factor for having a heart attack or getting diabetes. And if you are Indigenous, Black, Pacific, South Asian, Asian, if you are a person of color, they say that is a risk factor for getting these diseases. But this is complete BS because we know that there are communities all around the world and that most people of color never even had these diseases before and they live to be a hundred free of these diseases. We know it's not age and I know it's not age because I can take somebody who's 76 who's been on high blood pressure meds, diabetes meds um, for 25 years and within three months they're off all their meds. They don't have these diseases anymore. It is not an age-related issue. It is not because the person is overweight that they have these diseases. We know that, yes, there is a correlation between the two, but that is not the original cause of the disease. And it is definitely not because you are a person of color. It is because you do not have nutrients. You do not have the proper nutrients in your diet, which further leads to your body's ability to not be able to de detoxify itself, which then contributes to the chronic disease. So the true risk factors of these diseases are intergenerational trauma that's been handed down through colonization. It is a lack of access to food. It's the lack of knowledge to know what do I eat because people have been so oppressed and repressed and they their, their traditional knowledge systems have been completely ridiculed and then forgotten 
because of colonization. And so it's these factors that are the true risk factors of chronic disease, not being able to access clean, fresh, real food grown in nutrient-dense soil. And these were the answers that came out from all the interviews I did with individuals to show that the true risk factors, these need to be addressed first. And when those are addressed, these other risk factors that our governments and our medical system talk about, they won't be listed on those websites anymore. And this is probably the most important thing that needs to happen because right now we're telling people to exercise more and we know you can exercise your face off, but if you are eating a high processed food diet, you will still end up with the same chronic diseases. And in fact, at higher rates because all your metabolic energy is going towards exercising as opposed to regenerating the body and healing the body. So you cannot exercise your way out of a bad diet. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I think we have plenty of evidence to show that too. Exercise is good and it's important and we should definitely engage in that regularly, but it's not the key, the answer to reversing these conditions. I think that's so powerful and empowering too, because for people that don't have the knowledge and don't have the experience and they're reading some of these things, it can feel very disheartening and disempowering to be like, okay, well, I'm this age person of color. I guess I'm screwed. I mean, like, yeah. what, what else am I going to do? I'm just going to go on the meds, you know, like it, it's not yeah. on there very clearly that no, these are correlations to things that have been happening for generations in our society and our cultures that have led you down this path. But these aren't the things that are causing this issue, you know, so I think that's really, really important. I'm and especially very passionate about body size, too, because I think for the body size thing, we've gotten that so backwards and um, really also in our society, blaming the victims and disempowering people to do things that will help them feel better and live their lives to the fullest, despite the size of their bodies. So thank you so much for bringing that up. So powerful. Well, you brought up exercise and I know that you are an endurance athlete. So tell me about endurance sports that you participate in and how does athleticism and nutrition intersect in your world? Mm -hmm. So I want everybody to know that, yes, I was an athlete when I was in high school and I did play tennis um, in Mississippi. And so I was an athlete. Okay. And then I had life happen. Kids happen, three children, businesses, all of that. And then I really was into hiking and walking. And, you know, that was my exercise for a very long time. So I was not a runner. I was not a biker. I think the max that I'd ever run was 10 kilometers in one race. And maybe before that had not really run much before. So two years ago, I started training to run and bike across Canada. And this was to raise awareness about food as medicine to work with indigenous communities across Canada. So that's part of our 22 million strong campaign. And I just started biking, I started running. And of course, I was fully plant-based, whole food, vegan by this point. And so that's my diet. So the interesting thing is, um, I didn't know much about nutrition for endurance sports. So I had to learn all about this over the last few years. And so I hired coaches and I read books and I listened to a ton of audiobooks while I was running. And I learned a lot about how our bodies can go long distances on 
high nutrient dense food that is low on protein and low on fats. And so it was interesting because all the endurance athletes were essentially telling me to eat the foods that I teach my clients to eat to reverse disease. And they said, the reason you do this, it's because your body regenerates really, really fast on a high carb diet that's low in protein, low in fats. And so this blew my mind because I was thinking, oh no, how am I going to do this? I'm like, are they going to tell me to start eating meat and that I need all this protein? Like, and, and of course, this is from somebody who knows that it doesn't have to be this way. But even myself, because I was afraid, I'm like, I don't want to damage my body. I'm running sometimes, you know, half marathons multiple times a week. I'm doing 16 hours a week of training. I do five hour bike rides on Saturdays, um, you know, and I'm training six days a week. So I was specific when I started working with these nutritionists. I made sure I hired plant-based whole food nutritionists and made sure that they knew I wasn't going to take protein powders. I wasn't going to take, you know, all of these additional um, fake foods, and I wasn't going to be pouring oil on everything, and I wasn't going to be adding excess sodium into my food, all of that. So it was great because I found all of these endurance nutritionists, including one from the University of Toronto, which is a pretty prestigious university for their nutrition studies. And they were like, no, you don't have to do that at all. So it was awesome. They, you know, I, when I bike, I carry um, potatoes and yams and watermelon cubes and pineapple and, you know, like, and, and I didn't have to eat all these nuts and seeds because I'm not a huge nut and seed eater because of the fact that we can't reverse chronic diseases very well when people consume high amounts of nuts and seeds. It's just, they need high amounts of high carb, high nutrient, high fiber, low protein, low fat foods to be able to reverse these chronic diseases easily. So the great thing is, is that I was able to stick with the way that I knew how to eat and still be able to traverse my body very, very long distances. And what was very cool about it is when I did the Cross BC tour, um, uh, you know, like that's, you know, that's a 3,500 um, kilometer round trip tour. But every single day at the end of nine, 10 hours of biking and running, my body felt amazing. I had so much energy and my knees, like I'm a 47-year-old woman, okay, so who basically sat at my computer for 16 years, um, raising kids, running businesses. And now for a very important message. Hey, mama, if you are feeling frustrated about mealtime battles, worried that your child isn't eating enough or eating enough vegetables, afraid that your child is going to get some awful deficiency or disease because of the lack of diversity in their diet, I wrote a book that might be for you. A Parent's Guide to Intuitive Eating, How to Raise Kids Who Love to Eat Healthy is available in paperback, ebook, and audiobook through all major online booksellers. Did you know that most children are born with the innate ability to eat the appropriate amount of food to satisfy their hunger and support appropriate growth? Despite this, parents are still anxious and confused about how much and what to feed their children. In addition, many children are labeled as picky eaters or develop behaviors such as hiding and sneaking food. There's also a growing epidemic of dieting behaviors and eating disorders beginning at alarmingly young ages. 
In my book, you'll learn the five pillars of healthy eating, how to apply intuitive eating through all the stages of development, lifestyle habits that support healthy eating and body image, troubleshooting and problem solving for picky eaters, overeating and dieting behaviors, how to create and foster a healthy body image in your children, how exploring your own body image and relationship with food will help raise an intuitive eater, and what foods to offer your child at different stages of development. A Parent's Guide to Intuitive Eating, How to Raise Kids Who Love to Eat Healthy, available in paperback, ebook, and audiobook through all major online booksellers. Are you ready for a fresh approach to feeding your child? For more information, visit dryami.com forward slash book. And now back to the episode. And I didn't have great knees going into it, but I had amazing knees coming out of it like that. You know, my body felt incredible. And so the proof was really in the vegan, whole food, real food pudding, <laughs> if you so to speak, in that your body wants to heal fast and it does regenerate fast when you have the right amount of nutrients. And so I didn't have to, I mean, I had to eat more calories, that's for sure, but I didn't really have to add anything special to my diet whatsoever. Wow, that's pretty cool. So have you, you're still working on the trek across Canada though, right? Is that just the first phase of it, across BC? Oh, yeah. We've had to postpone it year after year since 2020 and COVID hit, which has been sad, but it's also been really incredible at the same time um, because things have shifted with my research and I've learned so much more. And so, you know, we're just taking it one year at a time and we couldn't travel across um, Canada because my university wouldn't allow me to do research face to face with BIPOC communities. They shut down all face to face research because of the liabilities there um, with COVID. So yeah, this is, it feels like this is the year as long as everything with COVID stays where it's at, um, we should be okay to go. And um, so last year, yeah, we ended up instead of just canceling it all together and postponing it, we just did the cross BC tour. And now this year we'll be going across Canada. So cool, congratulations. That's amazing. I can't wait to see that journey. So you're a very busy person. <laughs> you have so many things going on. In addition to your PhD and doing the 22 million strong, uh, you also own a restaurant, which is a chain now called The Green Mustache. So has it taken a lot of grit and courage to get it off the ground and going? What has been the best part? What's been the hardest part about owning a restaurant and now expanding it? Oh, my goodness. If you had asked me that question before COVID versus after COVID, I would have told you two very different things. Um, you know, the food industry is a very hard industry. And most people will tell you most restaurants don't survive their first year. And we're going into our 10th year this year. Wow. And so in the beginning, I would say prior to COVID, you know, we had amazing staff. We still have amazing staff, but it was easier to get, you know, employees um, and team members back then. Um Balancing out food costs, you know, that is really, really hard right now. Balancing out um, uh, the, having the right amount of employees. It's, we're in a resort community, which is really, really tough because COVID hit us very hard. And now people can't find a place to live to save their lives. So it's been really hard getting um, team members 
And so this past, you know, two years has been incredibly tough for us, but it's also been the best thing that we've ever done. Because when we, when I set out to start the green mustache 10 years ago, it was because my clients who were reversing their chronic diseases and had reversed their chronic diseases and now were back at work because they were chronic disease free. They were like, Nikki, can you just like make us food? You know, we don't have time to cook all the time. And so I did. I started making food for people in my kitchen at five in the morning and delivering it to restaurants that can sell it to the customers because the customer restaurants weren't going to make plant-based whole food um, that was organic and you know, free of salt, oil and sugar. And so I started doing that. Um, and then after the end, I was like, well, I need a place to eat too. So that's how we started the green mustache. And my husband was teaching full time at the time. We had three little kids. So balancing that was always a challenge. So when you ask like, you know, did it take grit? Of course, like took so much grit. Um, and I was not, I had not worked in the restaurant industry. I was a server, but I'd never worked in a kitchen. So I didn't know anything about that. So it was all naivete, so to speak, that allowed me to take that step forward. And, um, and every day was just learning. It was putting one foot in front of the other. It's a lot of putting out fires every day, literally like your fridge breaks down. What do you do when all the food needs to be transferred to somewhere else and you have to call the restaurant next door and ask them to, you know, if they can hold all your supplies for the day while you get a fridge delivered? You know, so there's a lot of those little tiny things, but it's also the most exciting. Like there's never a problem you can't solve in the restaurant industry. And what we did blew my mind actually in a lot of ways because people said people will never pay to eat salads and smoothies and juices and plant-based soups. You know, people want to pay for their steaks. They want to pay for their meat. And I was like, well, I don't know. I'm just going to give it a try. And people came out of the woodwork. People who knew about organic eating, they knew about plant-based eating, but they could never eat anywhere. So they always prepared their foods at home. Finally, we're coming into our restaurant saying, thank you. Now we can eat out. So we had families and we still do have families eating in our restaurant seven days a week while they're visiting us in Whistler. Like it's unbelievable. And it really ended up being a health hub, a place where people can gather who had shared values around clean, real foods, around, you know, creating a planet that wasn't putting pesticides into it, into creating uh, lifestyles that were centered around being free of chronic disease. And, and, and that's how it really grew. It, it's, been, it's been an amazing adventure. That's so cool. Congratulations. Well, I have to say that one of my very favorite places on earth is Whistler. <laughs> I love Whistler so much and we haven't been since 2019. <clears throat> so I will definitely be back and we'll definitely visit the green mustache. But I myself have always wanted to own a restaurant. I have not had the courage yet to take that step, but when I saw that you had franchise opportunities, maybe someday, maybe someday there'll be a green mustache in Yakima, Washington. So hopefully that would be super cool. But I will definitely be visiting you in Whistler someday because I love Whistler and I need an excuse to go back. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely come visit. We'll have lunch together. So what do you wish more people knew? Ooh, that's a great question. I wish that more people knew that their own, that their very own bodies, like this gorgeous temple and container that they live within, that is them. 
I really wish that they knew about the self-healing properties of their own body. Your body is designed to heal itself. And if everybody is listening to this right now, and if you're not driving, and if you're just sitting there or walking and listening, I just want you to just stop for a moment and close your eyes. And I want you to remember a time when you cut your finger. And if you really think about it, you know, you cut your finger, sure, you probably go and run it underneath water. So you just clean it, right? You make sure it's free of toxins. And then you probably put pressure on it, right? And pressure is good. A lot of people think of pressure as being negative and being stress, but there's good stress. So you put pressure on it. And then maybe you put a Band-Aid around it. And then you don't even think about it. You're like, oh, it's a little bit painful, right? There's a, a little bit of pain that goes along with it. But then a few hours later, you notice like, oh, it's, you know, not even a few hours, a few minutes, it stopped bleeding. And then a few hours later, you know, you notice like the pain subsided. And then a few days later, you take off that Band-Aid and you look at it and you're like, oh, it's sewn itself back together. You didn't have to, in a lot of cases, when you cut your finger, you didn't even have to go see a doctor. And even if the doctor did sew your finger back together, they actually are not sewing the cells back together. They could put a couple of stitches just to hold it in place, right? It's just like another form of a Band-Aid. And then, but there's this magic that's happening in your body. Your body is knitting together through its own innate knowledge, putting your finger back together as it was before you cut it. Until the point where you even forget, think about all the times you've cut yourself, bruised yourself, hurt yourself. What happened in those moments? Your body self-healed. And so you have the power to heal yourself. It's not a doctor that actually heals you. It's not a surgery that heals you. Even if you got the surgery, your body is still undergoing all of these processes to just knit itself back together. And it's so beautiful. It's magical even. But here's the thing. You need to have the right nutrients in your body to do that. And your body needs hundreds of different nutrients, enzymes, amino acids, special proteins, but not the kind of proteins that you get from meat because your body is creating all the protein that it needs through the foods that you eat. And so when people start to understand that, then you'll start to treat your body a little bit differently. You'll actually start to heal it, treat it as this self-healing organism that it's always been designed to be. And you'll know that only you have the power to heal yourself. And you'll start making decisions to nutrify your body in these incredibly hyper-nutrification ways, which is eating real food. And you'll slowly stop putting toxins into your body. That's the toxins in the air, the toxins in the water, the toxins in your food, the things you have control over. You'll start making healthier choices in your food, in your cleaning products, in your cosmetic products, in your clothing products. And then you just watch the magic happen. And then your body will be liberated of that chronic disease. And then you will be able to expend all of that extra energy just doing all of the beautiful things that you love to do. Oh, that I is what it. I want people to know. So beautiful. So beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that. Do you have a morning routine? If so, please share it with us. <laughs> oh, morning routines. Um, I love rhythm. So I don't like routine and I love rhythm. And I've been asked this question before and it 
changes. It changes with the seasons. So I love waking up slowly and I love thinking about the way my day is going to unfold. And so I lay in bed. I think about all the things that I have coming up. I love to set an intention for my day. That is something I 100% do. And every day that changes. So sometimes, you know, if I've had a week of procrastination, then my intention will be about like, you know what, Nikki, forgive yourself for that week of procrastination. And today, let's just choose one little tiny goal that we're going to do. And, and it doesn't have to be big. So I like to think about one to three things that I'm going to accomplish that day. And they're small things. Um, then I like to wake up. Uh, my husband is, I have an incredible husband who loves cooking. So I always wake up to this gorgeous bowl of, I'll just show it to you here if there's anybody who's going to see this online, but a beautiful bowl of oatmeal. I have a slice of this gorgeous um, rye bread that's there um, full of lots of fruits and um, hemp seeds and a little bit of maple syrup. So I love to sit down at my counter and I love to eat breakfast while my kids are getting ready for school. And then I always make sure I hug my kids so hard and I kiss them all over and I tell them how much I love them. And I tell my partner the same way. That is a non-negotiable. It doesn't matter if we've had a crappy morning, if we've been fighting or, you know, my family every single day will receive a hug and a kiss from me. And and they know that... Um, just how much I love them. So I never take for granted that life can be flipped on its head at every single moment of the day. So I practice something that's called memento mori, and it's where you really see your deathbed and you know that life could end at any single moment. And so then I use that to think about how my day is going to unfold as well. So make the best of this very day of this very moment. And so I eat my breakfast. I usually love to make sure that I have water in the morning as well because I often forget to drink water. And so I like to start off my day with that. And then I have a yoga mat that's just out. It's usually in my bedroom or the living room. It gets moved around by every family member who's, you know, there's someone lying on a yoga mat at any given moment of the day, um, whether it's just to play with the dogs or to do stretching or to lay on a roller or, you know, so I usually will try and get onto a yoga mat. And sometimes it's only for three or four minutes and it's just to take, you know, 10 deep breaths or sometimes it's to do cat and cow pose. So again, it's not a routine. I don't have this set routine, but I like to feel into my body and just give myself what my body needs before I head downstairs, sit at the computer. Um, and then you know, I don't walk my dogs at any given time of the day. I don't go train at the same time every day, but I usually like to look at my calendar and just make sure that I have those things set into my day so that it happens. Um, and then my day starts and my days are busy. You know, there's tons of meetings, tons of interviews, tons of project work. Um, and so I go through that. And if as long as my morning has started off that way, then usually the rest of the day unfolds in such a beautiful way. Um, and then then it's nighttime and dinner and, you know, reading with my kids. And and again, there's no routine to that, but there's just a flow and a rhythm that happens. And then it's bedtime. And I always love to read first thing in the morning. And I always love to read first thing at night before I go to bed as well. So those are non-negotiable is that I like to learn something new every single day. And I love to binge watch Netflix. <laughs> I got to throw in the Netflix too. 
Yeah, of course. So like I'm human. So there's some days where I'm like, I don't want to read and I'm going to watch a show. And, you know, um, so I'll do that too. Like I just watched Emily in Paris, like, you know, like, so just for everybody out there who thinks that it's like all about learning and personal growth, it's not like, I like to have fun. I love to laugh and I love to, you know, watch Netflix as well. I love it. But it does sound very intuitive and it sounds like you're able to tune into your body, determine what you need and kind of go with the flow and the rhythm of the days and the different seasons. So that's really nice. Thank you for sharing that. Well, Nicolette, this has been fantastic. It's been such a joy learning more about you. I know that my listeners would love to connect with you. So let us know where we can connect with you and what products and services you offer. Mm, yeah, thank you. Um, so if anybody out there has a chronic illness, and there's over 150 chronic illnesses, there's new chronic illness, illnesses being invented every single day. Um, and so if you are really ready to put an end to taking the medications, you want to avoid an upcoming surgery, reach out to us at nicolette at richerhealth.ca. Somebody on our team will get back to you and let you know what the you know, next possible step is for you. We have an amazing program called Eat Real to Heal. And that's a six-week online course. You get lifetime access to it. That's a great place to start. It's very affordable for most people. And you can join that program. And the great thing about it is that you get weekly group coaching for the rest of your life. So I'm not going anywhere. I will. I have no intention of retiring. I've been doing this work consistently for 16 years, and I'm going to be doing it for years and years to come. So weekly group coaching for life, which means you can show up every Tuesday at 11 a.m. and ask me all the questions that you have. And I do this to make sure that you stay on track so that, you know, there's no falling off the wagon, none of that, that you just make this a lifestyle and I help you stick to it. So our Eat Real to Heal program is incredible. You can also do your our decolonizing your uh, decolonizing your plate course. That's another six week program where you actually get that program and eat real to heal as well. And this is where I gently take you through the history of colonization, so you really understand how it's affected you, but also how it's affected others in your community, predominantly people of color and Indigenous people. And it just helps to reframe your lens so that there's no more judgment anymore. There's no more self-judgment or judgment of others. And in that, you learn all about decolonizing your plate. Plus, you get to decolonize your plate through our Eat Real to Heal program. And then, of course, um, we have one more program that's amazing. If there's anybody out there that is a physician, a naturopath, a, a dietitian, a nutritionist, a coach, and you want to start teaching other people how to reverse their chronic diseases, we have our nutrition and detoxification certification program to train people how to become me. And we're doing that. We've been doing that for the last five years. It's an amazing program. It's a six-month program. And if you have a business, we teach you how to scale it by adding chronic disease reversal to one of the programs that you offer. Or if you want to start a brand new business from scratch, we also include a three-month um, training program so that you actually will create your very own business and start taking on clients. And that is an incredible program. And all of our coaches that graduate from that, we have a high graduation rate because we offer an additional four hours of coaching a week for you um, while you do that program. 
and that's with me directly. So that's a great program if you're looking for a new career, helping others reverse their chronic diseases. And you can find all that information. Where do they find that information? Oh my gosh, we have separate websites for everything, but go to nicolettereche.com. And I know that link will be in the show notes. Um, You can also go to greenmustache.com as well. That will be in the show notes as well. And you can find us or just email us at nicolette at richerhealth.ca. Awesome. Yeah, you just, you have a lot to offer. (laughs) There's a lot. You've created so much. You are definitely a very productive person. So thank you for sharing all of that. And I know that there will definitely be some listeners that are interested in that. Okay, last question. Leave us with your number one tip for people of color that want to adopt a plant-based lifestyle for their health. Um, yes, this one, this one is a big one because there is a complete unlearning that needs to happen. And that unlearning is going back to your roots and going back to your roots means going back to what your ancestors ate and really understanding that. So that means going back prior to colonization and really going back to those roots. And this is the very first most important thing that I think everybody needs to do, and especially if you're a person of color. And when you go back, there's going to be a remembering of the trauma. And so it's really taking care of yourself because a lot of people of color, indigenous people, when they go back through their ancestry and they see the effects of colonization, there's a re-traumatization that takes place. And so you have to be very gentle with yourself. And there might be a grieving process that you need to go through as you recognize that Everything that you believe about yourself right now, everything that you know about yourself, everything, you know, for example, these comfort Southern culturally appropriate foods that you think are part of your culture that actually were not there prior to colonization, this is hard. So there's a letting go and there's an unlearning and there's a healing process that needs to take place. So you need to be very gentle with yourself. And at the same time, You can be empowering yourself by really when you go to the grocery store, go look at all, go to grocery stores where they serve a lot, uh, like a South Asian store is a great place to go. Um, A store that's owned by a person of color is a great place to go and start purchasing foods that you haven't purchased in a very long time or maybe if ever right? So there's this diversity of foods that are out there that most of us don't know how to cook with, don't know how to eat. We're not used to the flavors. And so this is a really fun, great place to start. And when you do that and you start eating real foods and you start saying no to these white foods, this is probably the most important place that you can start because you'll start to feel your energy come back. You'll start to feel Um, the pain in your knees and from the arthritis and from the rheumatoid arthritis and from the diabetes and the heart disease, you'll start to see that melt away. And then you can really, really go aggressively after this new lifestyle of eating the way that your ancestors ate. And it's just going to be pure magic that happens. You're going to liberate yourself from all of the things that have been holding you down, weighing you you down, and you're just going to experience this whole new life. 
So learning about your culture, your ancestry, your history, and then starting to adopt those foods into your lifestyle are the two major things that you can do. Wow. It definitely sounds like a journey and an adventure for sure. <laughs> There's definitely an adventure in the process of learning all about this and discovering new things, but it definitely be a lot of fun too. Well, Nicolette Richet, thank you so much for all the work that you're doing. I'm so grateful to have met you and I'm grateful for all the work that you're doing. And thank you so much for being on Veggie Doctor Radio today. And I hope that you have a very plantastic day. Thank you so much for having me and for all the work that you do and hosting this show. It's really, we, I love that we're in this together. So I really appreciate everything you do as well. Hey, veggie lover, I hope that you loved today's episode. Will you take a second and do me a huge favor? Please subscribe to my podcast so that you never miss an episode. You're the reason I'm here and I want to share it all with you. Thank you for listening and have a plantastic day. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.